Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,221 of The Bugle with me, Andy Zaltzman, audio newscasting, as ever, from the shed on this, the 21st of February, 2022. I have reinforced the shed to withstand up to 140,000 Russian troops trying to break in at once. Uh, I've done that by cleverly surrounding it with, uh, well, two and a half thousand kilometres of land and a bit of sea. Uh, So it should be good to uh, get through this week's recording, for which... I'm joined from not one, but two sides of the Atlantic Ocean, uh, and quite a bit of land after that as well, in one of their cases. Uh, by from San Francisco, Nato Green, and from Dublin, Neil Delamere. Uh, welcome back, uh, both of you. Uh, how are you? Very good, Andy. How are you? I'm, I'm all right, yeah. Um, well, yeah, apart from the world teetering on the precipice of oblivion but you know other than that yeah oh i'm just here having a cup of tea enjoying my country's lack of proximity to russia um you can i mean we can criticize a lot about ireland you know the weather and so, certain inequality but i mean there's stuff you can't take away from us two thousand miles to moscow yeah it's uh it's kind of useful at the moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah i used to think that about the vikings and they made it anyway Andy, I don't know if you know this, it's a three-day weekend in America, um, and so uh, we ship the kids off to L.A. to visit friends, and my wife and I are enjoying our child-free time the way that many married couples do, which is by having a long, uninterrupted romantic talk about the children. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, 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 sh- you ship them off. That's, I mean, what, what's the... I mean, what are the what are what are the shipping lines like these days? Yeah, yeah. There's there's, there's actually there's supply chain issues. Their their oh, okay. flight their flight back is delayed. So, we're... <laughs> <laughs> so um, but my you know it's interesting. My kids are the, the twins are thirteen, which means that they're brilliant in many ways, but then have like huge gaps in basic life knowledge. And one of my favorite things about being a parent uh, of this age is when they confidently assert that something is not a thing that is definitely a thing. <laughs> um, so the list of my, of things that my kids do not believe are things are Kristen Dunst, Bruce Springsteen, Christmas pajamas, and free juice on the airplane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a wide gamut of, yeah, that yeah. really is. Um, yeah. I mean, is there actually any incontroversible proof that that uh, Dunst does genuinely exist or not? I mean, I've, <laughs> I, mean I, mean, I think you, I think you're thinking of a film that she was in where other people had no reflections. Oh of, right, oh must be that, must be that. But I mean, you can do anything with cameras these days. You can. It's all green screen, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be one of the weirder conspiracy theories. There's no thing as true. But Dunst is a forgery. <laughs> But, you know, who knows? I mean, it could be just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, next they'll be telling us that Julia Roberts doesn't exist when there are no certainties anymore. Yeah, no, it, tur- it turns out Kristen Dunst is just Andy Circus in a rubber suit. <laughs> you heard it here first. That's what podcasts are for, spreading conspiracy theories where others fear to tread. We are recording on the 21st of February, 2022, meaning tomorrow... On the correct way of uh, formatting dates is 2202-2022, a palindromic date using the eight-digit day-month-year format as God intended. Now, there are just 29 of these palindromic dates to enjoy this century, 
And of course, there will be a special bugle on the 29th of February 2092 to mark the last of these with special guests Simon J. Nomis and Annabelle Labana, assuming they exist at the time. Uh, and we look back now at some of the great palindromic dates from history. On this equivalent day, uh, on uh, the 20, 22nd of February uh, 2022 BC, um, well, it was an all-action day. A guy in what is now Germany killed an elk. Um, on uh, the 11th of January uh, in the year 1011, six-time Viking pillager of the year, Snjall Skjolsson, uh, did some palindromic pillaging to mark the occasion. He ransacked a monastery, a convent, a fishing village, another convent and a second monastery in just six hours of action-packed Viking. He absolutely viked the hell out of it that day, to be fair to the lad. Uh, on uh, the 11th of November, 1111, uh, everyone just went absolutely f***ing nuts. Um, <laughs> the, uh, because that's the only time that a date uh, had the same digit eight times in a row um, and will remain so uh, until 1,111 years, 11 months and 11 days after the real Messiah is born. Um, uh, or, of course, uh, unless part of the peace deal in Ukraine involves splitting months in half, so we have 24 in a year um, and uh, helping February make up for all the years it's been the shortest month by letting it have 22 days, whilst all the other months have, have fewer. I mean, that's that's a long shot, but it's not impossible. Uh, on the 20th of February 2002, Andy Hansen, who'd played baseball for the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Phillies in the 1940s and 50s, died at the palindromic age of 77. And would you believe also had a palindromic height of one meter, 91 centimeters. Um, so I, I imagine as, you know, final thoughts go, that would have been quite a satisfying one. Uh, and it's uh, what's now uh, eight years now until the next palindromic date, the 3rd of February, uh, 2030. So do make the most of it uh, on, on a non eight digit palindromic day. The first of the first one, baby Jesus did a sick, but it was magic and cured a sickly pigeon. Um, but uh, it doesn't qualify as an eight digit. Andy, yep. how much time did you spend working out all the palindromic dates? <laughs> well, uh, you started at the first palindromic date. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I started at 13 billion BC and worked uh, worked from there. Uh, well, no, it turns out, uh, conveniently enough, thanks to the the wonders of the internet, there's a website that lists. <laughs> You seem so obsessed with palindromes that if one member of ABBA dies, you'll murder the other three. <laughs> <laughs> well look i'm sure i wouldn't be the only one um so you know. it would be their waterloo <laughs> but indeed. as always a section of the buglers going straight in the bin this week micro pets uh with living space at an increasing premium uh, and an increasing number of people deciding to economize because of the uh, various impending armageddon that seem to be trundling our way traditional pets have become simply too big uh, age-old favourites like dogs, cats, salamanders, camels, and even ferrets have become too expensive, space-consuming, and sometimes too poisonous or demanding for today's time, space, and wedge-poor animal fans. So our special bugle section in the bin this week focuses on the options for micro-pets, uh, tiny animals that uh, fulfil the same function, but at a fraction of the cost, time, and space. After all, we're perfectly happy to have a houseplant in the living room rather than the giant redwood, so why not downsize animals as well as plants? Uh, we look at the pros and cons of owning a termite, a pro, for example, you don't have to follow it around with a plastic bag in case it craps on the pavement. Con, it might eat your cricket bat. Uh, pro, your termite won't annoy the neighbours like other pets can by barking, neighing or roaring in the middle of the night. Con, termites have a tendency to become emotionally detached. Uh, pro, you can take your termite for a walk in the park without getting mobbed by other termite owners desperate for some human conversation. Uh, and con, 
it can be difficult to find a uh, specialist, a veterinarian who can perform operations on termites. Uh, so um, I hope we've uh, helped you make your mind up uh, on that. Uh, krill, of course, one of the great aquatic micro pets, uh, and they love being pets, krill. I mean, they're used to being lumped together in a blob of characterless biomass for the delectation of hungry whales. But your krill at just one or two centimetres in length uh, will not only fit in a standard pint glass without complaining, but will prove as loyal and grateful as any Labrador are being treated as an individual for once in its species f***ing life. Also, uh, krill are impressively portable. You can take your emotional support krill with you wherever you go in a simple screw-top portable nano-ocean pod complete with magnetic tide simulator for just £999. Uh, one quick tip for krill owners, avoid using the phrase, I'm having an absolute whale of a time. And uh, we also look at some of the uh, books for micro pet owners, including how to deal with antsy ants and worried worms, mood enhancing tips for a happy micro pet, how not to lose your plankton on a day out at the seaside. And uh, of course, uh, the top selling book in the micro pet market, The Family Friendly Crustacean by P.G. Woodlouse. Uh, that's <laughs> in the bin. What would you call your krill if you had a pet? I mean, I call it George Foreman. <laughs> Well, no, it seems that it would be silly not to call not to call it that. Um, I'm so happy with that. My question is, uh, wh- th- why did you leave out the major argument in favor of micro pets is that unlike dogs, they won't make social situations weird by trying to sniff people's balls. <laughs> <laughs> you've, never you've never had krill. A, you've never seen a krill <laughs> sniff someone's balls, have you? <laughs> Somebody hasn't watched enough of SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> That's an episode that never. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be up very late at night to see that one. Uh, anyway, that section in the bin. Top story this week: uh, Ukraine updates, and once again, uh, the invasion has not yet happened. Uh, as we record, Russia has still not invaded it's uh, continuing to exist uh, it's continuing to insist it's not planning an invasion at uh, russia and to update last week's exclusive uh, on the bugle about 140,000 russian troops coincidentally choosing to holiday in the very very western russian russia region further reports are now reaching us directly from the uh, russian army's military personnel brackets hobbies commander gramik snitchkov uh, that uh, the russian military is quote seriously struggling with the logistics of an influx of 25,000 more heavily armed troops who've descended on the Ukrainian border region after online reports of a sighting of a rare Carpathian purple-crested chaffinch out of its uh, usual habitat. Um, how are things in America at the moment with regard to the uh, the potential of a <laughs> extremely awkward war? Uh, yeah, it's very, it's very tense. There's a lot of anxiety. The US has threatened severe diplomatic retaliation against Russia. Like if they invade the Ukraine, the U.S. might not let them keep hacking our election system Uh, (laughs) and and using Donald Trump as a Russian psyop to destabilize the West. Um, So we might put an end to that. I think Russia is right to invade the Ukraine. Russia is worried about NATO's eastward expansion. And frankly, I I am, too. Uh, I don't know if you've seen my figure lately, but. (laughs) Um, The the conflict has been simmering for some time, and we all know what comes of simmering, gumbo. And uh, I can't slim down on all this gumbo. The solution is right there in the Washington Post, more military exercises. Uh, We would call that gumbo diplomacy. uh (laughs) Nice. Um, So 
Ukraine's president is Vladimir Zelensky, who was a comedian before becoming president, which is bad for all comedians. because we are not well-equipped to navigate sensitive diplomatic controversies. As a comedian, his instinctive response to Putin is to say, leave me alone, I'm working here. I don't go go to where you work at the Kremlin and knock Lenin's medically preserved dick out of your mouth. Uh, Is this thing on? Tip your bar staff and tank brigades. I'll leave you with this. Putin said that the Ukrainians and Russians are one people, and uh, it turns out that the Ukrainians are not on the same page about that, which is uh, why Russia must forcibly merge them into one people, the way that all one people have been created violently. Uh, (laughs) So the whole thing feels very retro to me, like very like 19th century great powers, geopolitical posturing. And it's it's very it's very modern. Like people are into oldie timey stuff. You know, everybody likes small batch cocktails and and like handmade things. And COVID brought back the Spanish flu of the World War One era. So somebody has to be Archduke Ferdinand for this, and and then we're in business. Right. You, um, any volunteers, uh, buglers, do email us in. Um. <laughs> I do like the way NATO mentioned Trump and that whole. I always thought it was hilarious that Trump said, you know, there's nothing Russian about me, no connection to Russia. And you think Donald Trump had a son called Donald Trump Jr. And he has a son called Donald Trump the third. So inside the biggest Donald Trump <laughs> was a smaller Donald Trump and inside him was a smaller Donald Trump. That's the most Russian thing that is possible. Surely. <laughs> Putin is clearly waiting for an excuse to invade as well. He keeps saying different things every day. He's like, what happened in Donbass's genocide? Let's invade. There's no evidence of that. And then he said, well, look at those two shells landing in Donetsk. Let's invade. That's completely made up. He's like, oh, well, I had an undercooked chicken Kiev once. Let's invade. <laughs> Sergei Bubka cut me off in traffic. Let's invade. <laughs> it's just I, I, the leaders in the West are now looking at the logic of this entire enterprise. And it's it's hard to understand the sanity of anyone who looks at a country whose most famous sons are the Klitschko brothers and goes, yeah, I reckon we could take those lads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I reckon we could. T- if, if you're not familiar with the Klitschkos, imagine someone has put an Easter Island statue on a sequoia tree, and that's what you get with those two lads. They're the hardiest looking lads in the history of the world. And people think, oh, you know, we, we, we can take the- I would just send one of them out. Just one of them out, and that'll be it. But the motivation seems to be to, to get Ukraine not to join NATO, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that Boris Johnson just didn't say to Zelensky, just sign an agreement to, to, to join, um, to, to never join NATO. And then Zelensky would go, but, but, you know, then we're locked out forever. And then Boris would go, no, 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 no. See, it's an international treaty that you negotiate it yourself. So, like, you can break that at any time in a very specific and limited way. I mean, it's cool. We do it all the time. I mean, this, this, this is the, the you know the great thing about about having a leader like Johnson at this difficult time. And you know, we've had various uh, UK government ministers accusing Vladimir Putin of not being honest and truthful, uh, and claiming that supposed Russian Russian de-escalation was disinformation or probably a straightforward lie. And and I think we're all learning you know the value of having government ministers whose skills in detecting bullshit in a leader have been so thoroughly honed over such a long period of time. So I think, you know, the world is benefiting from the fact that Boris Johnson has been uh, been setting this example for everyone uh, to follow. Uh, also, um, the um, UK Armed Forces Minister, James Heapy, 
uh, said an extraordinary thing a few days ago. He said that Europe is, quote, closer to war than at any point in 70 years, uh, which did seem to be slightly relabeling the 10-year violent breakup of the former Yugoslavia as just a bit of fisticuffs after closing time, and the war in Ukraine that began eight years ago as military foreplay, uh, which might be uh, might be more appropriate. There's also been a lot of talk about false flag uh, attacks. A false flag is, um, amongst many things, a technically very tricky but potentially match-clinching manoeuvre in golf, uh, memorably pulled off by Percival Snoutridge in the 1937 Empire match play at the Royal Clotterston Club in his victory over the great Henry Cotton uh, when uh, his false flag resulted in the three-time Open champion hammering a perfectly weighted 180-yard approach shot into the local churchyard, disrupting the funeral of a much-loved granny. You know, if there is an invasion uh, and the gas prices rocket even further, you'd have to think that the other major gas producing nations of the world will have serious leverage over the rest of us. I I would imagine Qatar must be thinking, oh, 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 we're having our World Cup, all right. (laughs) (laughs) And we're having it our way as well. It's not in November. It's in July. Uh, The matches will be at noon. It'll be 90 minutes straight through. And all the opposition players have to be ginger. It's coming home. It's coming home. One curious uh, aspect about the the Russian build-up has been um, photos emerging of Russian tanks with big letter Zs painted on them and some confusion over exactly what those Zs are. Um, Now, I mean, one possible explanation is that the Russian military have taken it upon themselves to publicise my forthcoming stand-up tour uh, beginning... (laughs) This Friday, the 25th of February in Leamington Spa, then on to Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Barnard Castle and Salford uh, the following week, followed by more dates through the end of March and an eight-night run at Soho Theatre in May. Details uh, at andyzolson.co.uk. But that's not the kind of publicity I want. That is not the kind of franchise I am. I'm very much not a fan of the Russian military, especially when it's massing the crap out of itself on the border of a neighbouring country. Uh, another possibility is that it marks vehicles where soldiers are having a pre-invasion snooze. Um, so so that the other tanks know not to play music too loudly. What is weird about this is that Zed isn't a character in the Cyrillic alphabet. So they're putting a character from a different alphabet onto stuff, which is, I mean, right up there with Amatatu is a Chinese symbol for serenity. You know those? <laughs> it's not. It says fuck knuckle. You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one, one theory is that it's for Zelensky, isn't it? that he's kind of public enemy number one amongst some of these, the, uh, the, the troops who are going to be invading, uh, which one, one hell of a heckle for a comedian to feel, isn't it? Well, when the Scots finally invade England, they're going to be driving south with BJ written on the side of the lorries, which is going to make some, for some very interesting adventures on the layboys of the M1 as they drive down. <laughs> uh, isn't Zed the name of Bobcat Goldthwait's character in the Police Academy movies? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> so yeah, I've thought of it from that angle. Yeah. Deep cut, everybody, but uh <laughs> <laughs> Police State Academy. Yeah. Um there's a talk that um French President Emmanuel Macron has been trying to hammer out a, a deal with Putin um to lead to a summit with with Joe Biden. It's been reported differently in at different British newspapers, depending on their attitude towards the continent. See if you can guess which of the following headlines is from The Guardian and which from The Telegraph. Macron paves way for potential Biden-Putin summit or Putin embarrasses Macron again. Um, you win uh, £5,000 if you can get that right. Oh, but you have to pay it directly to yourself in cash. Um, so 
it has been reported that Putin has agreed in principle to summiting the shit out of all this shit with Biden, um, followed by more chinwagging with with the other leaders. Uh, Macron has said they will work with all stakeholders to prepare the content of these discussions. Now, that's a strange term. Stake, I mean, I'm a stakeholder in this because I have a stake in the sense that I'm on balance opposed to World War Three. I don't know if I get an invite and a say saying this i mean how, how do you see the the french involved they seem to be kind of competitive who, who is who is having the most progress going on between various countries stakeholders could be a, a criticism of the current preparedness of the ukrainian army <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked for henry v at agincourt <laughs> always about agincourt always comes back to that we can't let it go who had 20 minutes in who had 20 minutes 20 minutes first agincourt no, I've got Donald Bradbury on 25. Bradman, you mean Bradman? I don't know anything about cricket. <laughs> I reached too far and I failed. I should have said Graham Gooch or someone. Chris, are you raising your hand? Yeah, sorry. And I just thought like there was breaking news about five minutes ago, which might be relevant oh. to the end for that. Just basically saying Putin is now or Russia now recognizes the independence of the breakaway areas of Ukraine controlled by Russian separatists. And he has apparently told the French and German leaders at one in one of their summits that. So I don't right. know if that is irrelevant in or not. Well, Chris, well, I mean, the question I have is how come you were the first with this news? I mean, what, how are you getting direct news from Vladimir Putin? And, uh, you know, I mean, we've seen the Russian influence in in elections, as was mentioned earlier on, and now it appears that they've, they've got a direct line to the producer of the bugle. I mean, I think there's many buglers who have been part of the show for many years who would assume nothing less. And <laughs> and I am actually, my background is blurred because I am currently in Kiev. <laughs> this means that there's a, that Putin has also has a Chris Skinner P-tape. <laughs> I mean, I sold it to him. There was, there was no uh, mystery. I mean, we all have one of those. <laughs> I got it in a goodie bag. Well, if uh, Putin is recognising these uh, the independence of breakaway uh, areas of Ukraine, I'm going to uh, recognise the independence of the rest of Russia as part of the United Kingdom, uh, as all countries used to be. Uh, so, you know, two can play that game, Vladimir. Uh, if you want to come on the show and discuss it, just uh, drop Chris an email. Or, a, or a, is he on your WhatsApp group? Yeah. <laughs> What's the name? What's the name of the WhatsApp group? <laughs> Top Invasion Bants. Putin the Putin. Um, in terms of uh, America's approach to this, uh, NATO, um, America's defended its decision to not impose sanctions, despite uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky calling for the sanctions to be applied now. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken on CNN said, the purpose of the sanctions in the first instance is to try to deter Russia from going to war. As soon as you trigger them, that deterrence is gone. So essentially what he's saying is you have to wait until they go to war. Otherwise, you won't be able to deter them from going to war. Uh, when is this all America has now? I mean, it's. No, I mean the we America. I mean has has the, the, this is why it's promising that there's a that there's a summit on offing is that America's diplomatic secret weapon is Joe Biden getting on the phone with Putin and just saying, "Come on, man," uh, <laughs> until peace breaks out. That's basically how Joe Biden does stuff. Operation Malarkey. Yeah, <laughs> like there'll be 
Joe Biden will launch into some sort of like rambling, incoherent, like folksy tale about growing up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Biden and Putin will agree to peace just to get off the phone. Because <laughs> <laughs> essentially what, what Blinken was saying was that the threat of sanctions is the deterrent rather than the sanctions themselves, which he clearly knows. He knows what's in the sanctions and that they're f- all use. So as long as we've only threatened them, Russia might think they're actually quite serious. But uh, the problem is now he's said it out loud. Russia knows that, you know, the em- the emperor has no underpants on, uh, as the old tale goes. Uh, John Kirby, <laughs> the Pentagon press secretary, said on Fox News, if you punish someone for something they haven't done yet, then they might as well just go ahead and do it. As another reason for why America is not. I mean, I've been a, I've been advocating this in criminal justice for some time, pre-served sentences, where you, you can put yourself in 15 years in jail and then you can come out and essentially you know, treat yourself. It seems to be which came first, the chlorinated chicken or the Fabergé egg? <laughs> it, it's like that experiment. Andy, I'm sure as a parent, Neil, do you have kids? No. Uh, as a parent, th- this is like the, the experience of, of disciplining young children using counting. Did you did you do this where you would start? You're like, you're going to get a timeout if I count to five and then you never get to five. You just yeah. slow, slow down the yeah, counting yeah. so that you never <laughs> actually reach five. That is pretty much the central plank of my my parenting strategy. Um I mean, I was disciplined using that. My father would say, I'm going to count to five. And he'd hit me on two and then shout, never trust anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's um, how you make a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> San Francisco school news now. And, um, well, uh, NATO, uh, obviously the, the, the logical segue from the Ukraine-Russia situation is to schools in San Francisco. Uh, just bring us up to date with what has been going because um, San Francisco residents have recalled three members of the city's school board. It's the first recall vote in the city since 1983. Now, 1983, you don't need me to tell you, NATO, was the year India first won the Cricket World Cup. But why did that coincide with San Francisco stopping having these recall votes? Uh, well, so the, the last uh, uh, recall vote was an attempted recall vote of then Mayor Dianne Feinstein, now now uh, senator facing uh, 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 so in her 90s, who's also sundowning um, actively uh, while on the Foreign Relations Committee. So um, and that recall failed. And so San Francisco learned its lesson and set it aside until now. Uh, and. You know, uh, one of my least favorite things about elections, Andy, is that uh, after every election, uh, people talk about what they mean, and immediately everyone rushes to declare that the results of the election provide conclusive proof in support of whatever they already thought anyway. Uh, (laughs) So whenever there's an election, if you're on the left, the election results confirm that politicians should move further to the left. If you're in the center, you should stick to the center only more so, as if that were possible. And if you're on the right, the results confirm that voters want to blow up the world. Uh, it's like here in San Francisco, our local basketball team is the Warriors. Uh, and it'd be like if after every single game that the Warriors won or lost, Andy Zaltzman was paid $50,000 to write an essay about how cricket is superior to basketball. And then everyone <laughs> dropped everything for months to debate the point, forgetting that they had already done that the week before. Uh, and then they'd send like correspondence out 
out to diners to interview Warriors fans about their inexplicable antipathy towards cricket and wonder at length whether Steph Curry is out of touch with the soul of America by not playing cricket. <laughs> so uh, that's 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 what our political coverage is like. And so we voted to, to recall three members of the school board, all people of color, in a special election, and it's been blown into a predictably stupid canary in the coal mine national narrative. Uh, Mike Pence t- tweeted about it, that the woke left has spent years trying to a- agitate for a culture war and they're going to lose it. Ted Cruz tweeted that the leftists who shut down schools for a year uh, now claim anyone who wants schools open is a white supremacist. Uh, Ted, it wasn't leftists who shut down schools, it was COVID, but if you're Ted Cruz, COVID is a socialist plague. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, many, many recall supporters were well-meaning parents who have valid criticisms of the school district and they identify as liberals who care about science and immigrant rights and racial equity. And they just happen to hate the three people of color on the school board so much that they're willing to go on news networks to the right of Fox to promote it rather than waiting for the next scheduled election, which is later this year. Perfectly normal, <laughs> rational behavior. Uh, the big issue that they are upset about is that they that the schools were closed for longer than they thought they should have been during COVID. It, and so they wanted to recall the school board for not reopening schools sooner, except that schools are open now and have been since August. And so it's a little bit weird to like recall people in February instead of voting them out in November for not reopening schools last February instead of August. If you're mad at government for doing something more slowly than you think they should, (laughs) you are in for a lot of heartache. Um, I don't know if you have, do you have school boards in the UK? It's like, it's a very weird system where we elect a group of volunteers as the governing board of local school districts. These are volunteers who spend five hours a week on hearings. They have no staff. They're the embodiment of phoning it in. They make high level policy, (laughs) but the bureaucrats mostly run things. Like my dad worked for the San Francisco school district for 35 years. And I asked him if the school board ever did anything that affected him in any way. And he burst out laughing. (laughs) Uh, So yes, in America, any idiot can be and has been president, Uh, but at least he gets a salary in a house. So there's some incentive to keep his shit together. It speaks to how little we think of children as a society they were willing to put billions of dollars in educational oversight as uh, to train children to be functioning cogs in the capitalist machine to a bunch of volunteers who are free to look at porn on their phones while voting on what math curriculum to teach. And they're going like, yeah, I want to go up the asymptote. Uh, so the recall in San Francisco was motivated by middle class white and Chinese parents. And this is, one of the issues was that the high school that's considered San Francisco's most elite public high school, the student body is almost all white and Chinese. And the school board voted to change the admissions policy to make it easier for black and Latino students to attend. And uh, letting black and Latino students attend a, a good school was a dangerous precedent that had to be stopped. Uh, so one of the school board members who was recalled is a black mom named Al Allison Collins. And before she was in politics, she t- tweeted in 2016 about her own experience with anti-black racism in the Asian community. And she was subsequently, subsequently denounced as being anti-Chinese. And the Chinese community of San Francisco was so offended by her comments about anti-blackness in the Chinese community that they called her the N-word a million times. Uh, so the conservatives are crowing about how like even in liberal San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. But it's not like San Francisco has moved to the, to the right. In San Francisco today, you can go out in the street and you can see a homeless guy shooting heroin into his dick 
while shitting on a pit bull, holding a leash made of barbed wire, and he's still wearing a mask. Uh, you this weekend was the Chinese Lunar New Year parade, and I went to watch, and there was a counter-protester with a bullhorn shouting about repenting your sins and accepting Jesus, and he was wearing an Immigrants Are Welcome Here t-shirt. Uh, so uh, last thing, the recall campaign uh, had about 35% turnout, and the school board members were recalled by, with over 70% of the vote. By contrast, the uh, November 2020 election had 86% of the turnout. This means that they were like first elected with 112,000 votes and recalled with 94,000 votes, but they're calling it a mandate. And to paraphrase Gil Scott Heron, the first thing I want to say is mandate my ass. Like, yes, technically you could say that me and Kevin Hart have both, quote, sold out tour dates, but his shows were in a stadium and mine were in a legal theater in a basement someone lived in with a guy in a bathrobe walking through the gig during my expertly crafted jokes. Uh, so no, the recall is not a sign that San Francisco has moved to the right, but is a good reminder that white liberals will play footsie with fascists if you inconvenience them in any way at all. And uh, footsie with fascists is obviously the band that Andy was in in college. <laughs> uh, Tootsie with fascists was uh, so a terrific Dustin Hoffman film. Um, <laughs> footsie with fascists is a financial recommendation if you're going to invest in the stock market. I thought. <laughs> if looking at this from the outside and just reading the odd newspaper article, it, it seems NATO that the right wing press went absolutely crazy over this and going liberals are losing their job in the most liberal city in America. Oh my God. This is like the time that fella from Hamas won RuPaul's drag race. And it was just <laughs> like, it was just like, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Even reading the odd uh, article from outside. What I would say as the only non-parent on this, on this particular podcast is that you people lost your mind when the schools <laughs> closed. Anybody who's involved in homeschooling, I met my brother, right? And he was just like, they got to open the schools. They got to gotta open the schools. I was like, Rory, it's Christmas Day. I don't, I don't care. They, they, they got to open the schools. I mean, we're all going to get Omicron anyway. Like if you meet someone with Omicron, you, you'll get Omicron. If someone rings you uh, and they have Omicron, Omicron comes down the line. Uh, if you're watching <laughs> the French president and you go, oh, Omicron, you get Omicron. I'm telling you, we're all going to get it. And he's like, I kept, I then bumped into him the next day. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm sending the kids to school. I don't care if I have to glue a snorkel to my nine-year-old's face and have him drinking dead all out of a hip flask like an antiseptic Oliver Reed. He's going to do it. You people, you parents lost all reason at some point during this pandemic. Winter Olympics news now, and uh, it's all over. Uh, the Winter Olympics has uh, finished with the traditional call for peace. The um, IOC president, Thomas Bach, called for political leaders around the world to be inspired by the athletes' example of solidarity and peace. And the International Olympic Committee calling for peace after two of its last three Winter Olympics and Paralympics have been in Russia and China. I mean, that, that doesn't sit easy. That's like handing out a lifetime award for services to conservation at the We Really Must Look After Our Planet Awards, whilst wearing a still-bleeding rhinoceros skin onesie. It's wrong on numerous levels. Um, it's been a kind of sad and awkward Olympics uh, in, uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, one, of the, one of the saddest and awkwardest of, of all time, I think, as a, as a sports fan. 
And um, Thomas Bach said, the unifying power of the Olympic Games is stronger than the forces that want to divide us. Now, I love sport as much as the next person, assuming that the next person is also looking for any and all available means of avoiding reality. But he is flat out wrong about that. The power of the Olympics is not stronger than the forces that want to divide us. I mean, I mean, the Winter Olympic sports gives phys- give physics a bit of a chasing, but they cannot compete with vast global geopolitical vested interests, and they should stop trying. Uh, frankly, uh, have you enjoyed uh, have you enjoyed the games either kind of pol- politically in terms of a means of um, uh, sports washing a nation's reputation and uh, ignoring uh, genocide, uh, or just from the spectacle of seeing people do quintuple somersaults off the side of a mountain? Oh, well, the first thing we have to say is congratulations to Team GB on their, oh, yeah. cur- on their curling medals. Yes. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, curling, Nate, but uh, Nato, it's it's the big one in the UK. Even as an Irish person, we know it's it's curling. Oh, it's the one they all want to win. A sport invented by people too silly to notice the temperature dropping when they were skimming stones across a lake <laughs> and invented a new sport. Um <laughs> Well, no, no, I mean, you say that, Neil, but I think it's just showed what what we can achieve as a nation in winter sports, as long mm. as they don't require anyone or anything to move at more than one mile an hour. Then we're right in business. Looks like an independent Scotland on the way to me. That's what, that, <laughs> that's what the curling said to me. But like this, you're right about back. What is he saying? Like this, there was a diplomatic boycott of this. Diplomatic boycotts are not enough. Countries have to decide if they have moral fortitude or not. The Republic of Ireland has boycotted the 2022 World Cup in Qatar by not qualifying for it. We did the same for the Russian World Cup in 2018. We boycotted the 2014 World Cup in Brazil over Bolsonaro's damaging presidency. And that was a full four years before he even announced his candidacy for the job. That is commitment. We boycotted South Africa in 2010 over their historical support for apartheid and Germany in 2006 for you know what. Now, Japan and Korea in 2002, they were grand. So we went there. So we stuck by our guns and other countries have to do the same. And frankly, all this talk about diplomacy is just a distraction from the real story of the Winter Olympics. And you know what I'm talking about. Yes. I think we, we know where this is going. I mean, this was probably an the epic headline. Well, it's an, an epic, epic headline. headline. And I'm sure many of you listening to this, Buglers, you will have already seen it. And I know we've been tweeted it by uh, around about 98% of our listeners, I think. Um, the Finnish cross-country skier, Remy Lindholm, um, suffered from a frozen penis. And there, well, there's no real way... Suffered from? Well, I mean... Enjoyed. It, well... I guess um, he encountered, essentially, what happened was the 50-kilometre cross-country race was reduced to 30 kilometres because it was too cold to be outside for that long, even at the reduced length. uh, Sorry, that is the wrong... Sorry, that is a poor term to use in in, in this story. Um, (laughs) Lindholm, his his trouserial troglodont became frozen. Uh, it, It did become frozen. However, he didn't let it go. And he applied a heat pack to his plonker to defrost his drongle, thus uh, saving his uh, Salama drill. Uh, but the key part of this, I think, is not the fact that a cross-country skier suffered a frozen penis. Um, uh, he said he did warm it up afterwards and described the pain as, quotes, unbearable. The key part is that he did this whilst finishing 28th. Now, I fully understand... <laughs> That you know, elite sport requires sacrifices. But if you are going to freeze your cock off, you better get a f-ing medal. Frankly, twenty eighth 
and a frozen penis. That is a very bad combination. That is a tough sport. <laughs> Any sport where you have to defrost your own <laughs> cock after an event is serious. I know you like cricket, but yep. never in the toughest match of the most competitive mm-hmm. ashes of all time has a player had to insert himself into a microwave like a penile pot noodle <laughs> to recover. The skier, Remy, which rhymes with semi, which is even better, right? He said, like he said, the heat pack onto his bits to warm up. Like, I assume that they thought all of them out, right? Like, it wasn't just that bit, and they just made a tiny little tinfoil blanket. Like, after you run the marathon from the wrapper of a kick ass <laughs> just <laughs> Like, it's so... I can't even imagine cold like that. Not even in the most harrowing part of Scott of the Antarctic's diaries. Do you see anything like this? There's no page where he's like, there's much to be learned from the adventure so far. Captain Oates has made the ultimate sacrifice as he walked into a blizzard after his dongle became frozen like a popsicle. Or coxicle, as one of the huskies said it. They're very clever dogs, huskies. Did, did he finish the race with a shard on? Show. Uh, well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's uh, Bugle. We were going to have a, a royal news section. Tough week for the royal family. The, the Queen uh, has contracted COVID after uh, her two of her sons are in uh, various varying types and depths of, of trouble. The Queen has been triple jabbed. Uh, with a special golden syringe made from the melted-down golden uh, codpiece of King Arthur himself. Um, but the fact that she's been triple-jabbed does suggest we don't entirely trust the uh, efficacy of our national anthem. Uh, but we will have uh, a full report on the uh, royal family <laughs> in uh, next week's Bugle, uh, if we can be asked. Uh, anyway, don't forget to come to all of my tour shows, starting in Leamington Spa on the 25th. Of February, all the other dates, uh, including the uh, May run in the Soho Theatre, are on the internet. Uh, do you have anything uh, to plug, Neil? Yes, I'm doing the SSE Arena in Belfast on Saturday night, and I'm also on all the socials at Neil Delma Family. NATO? Uh, at NATO Green on Twitter, Mr. NATO Green on Instagram. I have a couple albums out the NATO Green Party, the Whiteness album. Please buy them on Bandcamp, which is where the most of the share of the royalties go to the artist. Uh, Thank you for listening, Buglers. Uh, I will now play you out with some lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers to join them uh, to make a one-off or recurring contribution to uh, keep the Bugle free, flourishing and independent. Go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Owen Kendler really enjoyed a recent seminar but was left frustrated by the fact that he was then unable to attend a full-scale NAR. It was great, says Owen, informative and engaging, but why they stopped at just the semi-NAR, I've no idea. It sounds like NARs would be absolutely awesome. I mean, sure, some might not need to be the full 100%, but surely there's scope for at least some to go past the 50% point. Frankly, I'm baffled. Neil Franklin has been studying both science and musical instruments and has formulated a theory that there may be an extra category of undiscovered instruments that lies equidistant between brass and strings. It's like the Higgs boson of the orchestra for me, says Neil. I've no idea what it is, but it'll probably sound like a cross between a trombone and a viola, but if the trombone was corrugated and the viola had marshmallows stuffed under its strings. 
I'll have to do some experiments though, it remains theoretical at this point. Jay Francis has been wary of the word overjoyed ever since winning a school terrapin describing competition and walking off with a bar of chocolate as the first prize. You must be overjoyed, said a well-meaning teacher. Incorrect, replied Jay. I'm exactly the right amount of joyed. And to be honest, second-placed Ian looks distinctly underjoyed. There's no shame coming second to my terrapin describing skills. The teacher called Jay something quite rude, and ever since then Jay has striven not to take language too literally. Amanda Fraser can understand the psychology of making racehorses wear sheepskin nosebands, but frankly does not approve. Look, I get that if you stick a bit of one animal on another animal's face and tell it to run as fast as possible, it is going to focus the mind of that second creature, who's going to think, if I don't shift it big time, I'm going to end up like that. I assume that's the thinking anyway. But, concludes Amanda, I think it should be possible to coax an animal to perform at elite level with inspirational speeches about the pursuit of glory for glory's sake. It certainly worked with my friend Brian's gerbil when we raced it against his scale-electric car. And finally, Rhys Charlton was wondering the other day whether someone being arrested at a protest who had a banner with a pun or other joke on it could claim quiplomatic immunity. I do hope so, says Rhys, although I've heard that riot police tend not to be in the mood for jokes. I also hope that when they then ask you to tell them your name and address, you could point at your joke and say, sorry, I'm subject to a gagging order. It might lighten the mood, concludes Reese. Here endeth this week's lies, but before we go, here's a promo for a show produced by former Bugle producer Tom for ABC in Australia, featuring science, jokes, scientists and comedians. Hi, I'm Andy Matthews. And I'm Alistair Trombley-Birchall. And we're here to remind you that The Pop Test, that comedy science quiz show from Radio National, is back. Each week we pick a science topic and ask comedians and scientists important questions like... Why might you stir your tea at 28,000 RPM? Where on earth does time travel the slowest? And what's so suspicious about being left-handed? With guests Sean McAuliffe, Claire Hooper, Cal Wilson, Dr Alan Duffy and Sammy Shah... The Pop Test. Hear it now on the ABC Listen app or almost anywhere you get your podcasts. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.